All right. Hi, I'm Emily. And I'm Justin. And you're listening to The E&J Show. It's a podcast about dating, sex, the pop culture uh, of our youth, and food, and trying to figure out what we're doing in this one life we have on Earth. Wow. What a way to start <laughs> it off. Great job. That's how I'm feeling today. Well, it, I guess it's one of those kind of days. It's, yeah. Uh, it's the first day where we're not reaching 60 degrees that I can remember. Yeah, it is um, actually cold. I have slippers on. I have a little flannel that I'm using as a blankie on my lap. Yeah, which is saying something, because last time I went to your place, it was like really warm when we got in there. So Yes. Uh, you thought it was warmer than I thought, but... Yeah, I thought it was very warm. Yeah, I, I opened the windows for you and turned on the AC. Yeah. Anyway, uh, how, how have you been doing? I've been good. It's been um, a while since we last recorded. It's true. It's been like a month and a half. It's already yeah. the 20th. How did that happen? I don't know. Um, <laughs> don't, don't remind me. Uh, yeah, our initial plan was to do this at the beginning of each month. Or I don't know if that was our initial plan, but that's kind of what it turned into. And Something more consistent than what yeah. we have. Well, it's been once a month, which is pretty good. Yeah, considering um, what we both have going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, once I take my GRE in exactly a month from yesterday things will be different on my end yeah so uh, I, I think i think the theme of this episode is catch up right it's it's going back to what has happened for the past month and a half and talking or, about it or even like the past two years well yeah yeah but yeah we are we are playing catch up uh the other story i want to talk about was uh, a couple weeks ago I live near the library uh, in my town that I live in, which is Cambridge, and um, me and my friends were drinking outside, doing the socially distant hangs, and there's a tennis court, like, uh, or I should say, we were drinking outside at the library, and there's a tennis court, like, behind the library lawn, um, and this couple came up to the edge of the tennis court couple, and there was in large quotation marks couple a couple of people a man Oof. and a woman who were about to do something bad came up to the edge of the tennis court uh to the to the fence but there was like a tarp over the fence uh and there was a light behind them so they couldn't see through the tarp but we could see the silhouette of their bodies and they just started fucking. Mm. I mean, like, it looked like he was, like, he had turned her around. So she had her arms on the fence um, and her backside towards him. And he was, like, feeling her up and down, definitely reaching his hand into places. Oh, you know what? I think when you first told me this story which we, we had wanted to save for the podcast, but it was just it was too good. You had to tell me. Yeah, I had and to say. for some reason, I was envisioning it where she was on the the fence, like she was Spider-Man. So she had her back to the fence, but like her heels and her arms like dug into the fence. Oh, and then, no. Like, like the fence was like a sex swing or something. 
No, 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 no. Um, okay, this that's a lot more plausible than what. Okay, I was well, of. so what happened? So, so yes, but but first they were like that. First she had her back to him and her like face and hands pressed up against the fence, and then I think she turned around and he picked her up by her legs, and then she was using the fence as like elevation. Right. Uh, and then. <laughs> As my friend Claire from my old job said, it looked like he pumped into her twice and then... Jesus Christ. And then he dropped her. <laughs> and she fell Whoa. onto the ground with a resounding thud. And then they started fighting like cats and dogs. And she slapped him in the goddamn face so hard it echoed across the library lawn. And that's why they called it a pump and dump. Why did you say this? Silence. Pure <laughs> silence. Uh, well, yeah. And then they, they they walked away and things settled down. But in like three minutes, I saw every human emotion. Three minutes. Wow. Less. Wrath. Uh, wrath. Envy. Joy. Envy. Sloth. <laughs> gluttony. Avarice. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not if it was on a tennis court. No. Um. Yeah. Well, I'm we just. We were all to... shocked, but yeah. Anyway, I was really shocked, and so that's why tell... retelling this, you know, I'm a little more sedate. But I'm just honored by the fact that you said you wished I was there to give some play-by-play -play color commentary. Yep. Um, All I could think of as I was watching this was like, if only Justin was here, like this, it was just something that I knew you would enjoy seeing. I, you know, I, <laughs> what can I say? There's nothing like some good old fashioned IRL porno. It was intense. For, for also, the whole City Green's amusement. The thing too was that like one of the, my old coworkers I was with was 18 and he, I don't think he had ever seen the bad, bad, dirty in real life. Yeah. What a way. I mean, yeah, I, I, I definitely had a moment like that when I was in college and a freshman. Um, but yes, same. But, yep. but yep. that's, that's more of um, where I happened to be at the time because those mm -hmm. things are a little more prevalent in college than just, well yeah you're library. around people you're yeah yeah, yeah. A, a public library and one such as that um, yes yes it's pretty amazing i hear actually i don't know if i hear neighbors in this apartment but my old apartment every neighbor that we me and my ex had or all the neighbors that we had like the people who had the apartment right next to us all of them would have sex like all the time there was a lesbian couple that lived in there they they had sex the most i think and then there was sure. like there was actually this straight couple who was the last couple who lived there when we both lived there at the same time and it was valentine's day and they and me and my ex were just laying in bed not having sex because we were at that point of our relationship mm -hmm. and we started hearing our neighbors doing it like animals like filthy filthy animals slapping and screaming and giggling and 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 i just turned to him and i was just like at least someone is having sex oh boy and he was very upset 
I don't I don't really keep track of um my neighbors' habits, but you know, you you hear things. And you vice hear versa. things. I'm not vice saying versa. I'm keeping track. No, no, no. But I just I have no I have no comparison really. I've been yeah, I've I think I've told stories on here on one of the previous episodes of being told to keep the racket down. Um as it happens. It does happen. It does happen. Um do you so, ever talk about the meatloaf? Yeah, I mean, speaking of meatloaves, let's talk about meatloaf. <laughs> well, we we made, I think, um, one of the best things I've ever eaten a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it was I mean, it was really that good. It was like, I think you, like you brought up when we were eating it that like people talk about like mouthgasms from eating food that's so delicious, and you were like, I didn't get it. And I think you were trying to say that in that moment you did understand. Um, yeah, I can't quite remember, but I think, I think I said something about how people are like, oh, this is life changing. This is, yeah, it's like an orgasm or, it's like or something. better than or, sex. Yeah. Yeah. People like to hyperbolize and yeah. then also compare meals to sex in a really weird way. Um, they do. I never, ever... I still don't get that. I mean, I this still was don't like, get it. but it was really good. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna compare eating food to sex because they're they're two different things. But I will say, this meal was one of those that lingers with you, and yeah, yeah, you're always thinking about it. So yeah. I guess I guess yeah. if if there is a comparison to be made, it's that. And I haven't had meatloaf in years, honest yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess we were both thinking about it. And you got your mom's recipe. Because I was saying I don't really remember any particular way that my mom would do it. Other than the usual like barbecue sauce and ketchup mix on the top. And it was always yeah. very good. But yeah, your We did not mom, do that. My, yeah, mom, my mom puts bacon on top and the bacon fat seeps into the meatloaf which is what makes it moist or keeps it moist as it's baking um yeah so i was like i mean my mom is a pretty good cook but my mom's meatloaf is excellent and it's not just my mom's meatloaf it's my grandmother's meatloaf so i was like mm. this meatloaf has been passed down woman to woman generation to generation we need to make this amazing meatloaf well, it was very good, and, you know... Well, we changed it, too, though. We we changed it up, and with the changes we made, I could have gone without the bacon. Um, it, it, it made it very good and very moist, but I like meatloaf to be a little more crisp. That's just a personal preference. Okay, that's fair. Um, yeah. So, we got meatloaf mix because we're boring. We didn't mix it ourselves. Um, and then, I, I think we put in a whole Vidalia onion... And then yep. a, a, a poblano, a poblano pepper. pepper, yep. yep. And, and oh no, I a had, shallot, a shallot. That's right, it was a shallot, not a Vidalia. Yeah. And then yep. yeah, the poblano. And I had some hot sauce that I had made from yep. banana peppers in my little garden. And, um, you know, the thing with the banana pepper hot sauce is that it's got more flavor than heat, which I actually like because I think a really good hot sauce, you want to be able to taste it. I, I hate hot sauce that's really flavorful, but you can only put one drop on there. And it's like, well, I'm not really getting anything out of this, you know? 
So, and I can handle heat, but I just like stuff that's a little more mild and I can really taste it. And yeah, so it, instead of the ketchup, because you don't like ketchup, um, I do not. We, we put that on the top and then put the bacon over it. And then we did it up in a cast iron skillet and um, put that. You also put a little fennel seed on it, didn't you? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I had just I a little. Have, I had some fennel seed and I put that inside. That's true. Yeah, um, and then we, uh, we, 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 oh yeah, we put it in a skillet, which I honestly think yeah. was like what made it so good too, because all that flavor from the skillet and the moisture like stayed in the skillet as it was baking. Yeah, well, and you know, I was telling you, I was making some stuffed zucchini the other night and I could taste the meatloaf that mm. that went into the turkey that I was cooking for the zucchini so because it was, it was still in there the meatloaf and the the bacon um so yeah we did that we paired that up with some roast potatoes and we had some nice yep. olive oil yep those yeah. potatoes were very good too but they like were. when when the meatloaf came out of the oven i was like we should just like try a little bit of the bacon and i put the bacon in my mouth and it was like it was like it had been uh barbecued like it was crispy but then it like almost like melted in your mouth and it was so good i just like did like i did a a loop like around justin's house like just going crazy like it was so delicious yeah it i mean i've never had bacon with um like cooked for an hour in hot sauce before it was really something else it was so good. So I personally love the bacon. I think there could have been less bacon on it. Yeah, well, we wanted to use up the whole package. We wanted to use the um, whole package. But then as we were eating it at the, at the, we ate in the kitchen, which we don't always do at your house. Sometimes we like eat in the living room or outside, but we didn't, mm. we, we ate at the table and we were just like looking at each other eating this meatloaf, like this, like it was a, like it was literally ethereal. Like it was so delicious. I was like having a moment where I was like, "This is a place out of time." Well, I think I think what also did it was that we opened uh, a jar of sauerkraut I made. Oh yeah. And this the sauerkraut was the first thing I'd ever uh, fermented. I got really into fermenting this summer, and I'm still into it. And so we made this. I made the sauerkraut. It was a curry kraut. So it had curry powder and stuff in it and had some carrot and it was really good and very strong. It had been going for a month. So that with the potatoes and the meatloaf. Yeah. I mean, it was very, very hearty stuff. And I think we had some nice beer to go with it. Yep. Um, I don't remember was, what it was, but. Um, if I remember it was, I think. Was it? I think you brought some birds of a feather from Lamplighter. That's what I was going to say. And I had some metric systems from them. So it was Lamplighter affair. It was really, really good. Um, It was. Yeah, it was was definitely one of the best meals, if not the best thing I've ever made. Um, It was amazing. It it was up there. Um, I don't really... Again, I think it's just like... Part of it is just the the tools we had. I mean, without that skillet, I don't think it would have 
turned out that way. Um, yeah, a lot of what went into it was stuff that had been going on for a while. Like the kraut had been going for a month, and that skillet had years of seasoning on it, and yep. the hot sauce had been. Like... Honestly, this is the second time I've used poblano in my life. The other time was uh, when I went to Arizona and I did that cooking class I told you about. Yeah. And I made this skillet. I actually made skillet cornbread and there was poblano in it. And it was like, so it just like, I don't know if it was the poblano itself or the skillet again, but like that was the moistest cornbread I've ever had in my life. And it was really flavorful. And like, I really like the flavor of poblano because it's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's not like spicy, but it's not like peppery either in the way that other um... peppers are. It's it's hot without being yeah I mean yeah it, it's if you've got the seeds in there then you've got that's heat true because of the yeah. capsaicin but just the flesh is pretty doable it's not like jalapeno yeah. where you cut the jalapeno flesh and even that's kind of hot although poblano right. is very hot if you're just biting into the core of it um, maybe my spice tolerance is just up like I keep saying it could be I mean poblano cornbread is a staple of you know, southern. I didn't know. Southern, I had never had it. Cooking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certain barbecue places, if they're for real. Again, we, we're in New England, so there aren't too many, right? Really outstanding barbecue places, but one ones that are doing it for real, they've got the poblano or just any kind of pepper cornbread, and it's it's really so, really good. Yeah, this was like the best cornbread I've ever had. Yeah, um, which is which is something we should do. We should do it. We should We're make still, that. I have every recipe. I have every recipe from that class, but mm. I only made the cornbread, so. Hi, welcome back. Um, we took a break for a few minutes because I had to pee. Uh, and now Justin's going to talk about it. tell him. <laughs> Justin is going to tell us about his trip to France that he had almost exactly two years ago, right? Yeah, well, you know, again, that's the thing. We've been kind of um, brainstorming what to talk about and just things have gotten in the way. So when we were talking about this, it was like two years to the day that I went over there, but it's later now. Mm. But um, yeah, I was just thinking about it partially because... You know how your phone likes to give you nice little updates. Yes. Memories reminders. from yeah. 2018 or whatever. So it's partially that, but then also partially just saying, wow, yeah, I guess it has been two years. And with everything going on in the world, I, I think the big thing for me was just um, the condition that the entire world is in right now. Um, more so covid than anything else as it relates to travel um and how we take for granted the ability to just go somewhere else you know yeah so just that i don't know the ease of movement and ability to go to other countries because as we speak um i mean because of covid people you really shouldn't be going any place you don't know to go yeah but there is a travel ban on um americans going to a lot of countries, mostly European countries. I mean, everywhere, uh, basically. Every, everywhere, but, I mean, yeah. 
it's very rare in America's history that other countries are telling Americans not to come in. America's yes. America's really good at doing that to other people, but yeah, when it happens to themselves, it's a little strange. So, yeah, I was just thinking about the time I spent over in France. I was there for um, almost three weeks at the end of August and beginning of September in 2018. That's a long time. Yeah, it was, it was two and a half or so. Um, a week in Paris and a week in the countryside. You know, when I say a week, I mean a week and a few days to allow for travel and stuff. Right. And, um, you know, I'd never been, well, that's not true. I'd been to Canada as a kid, but this is the first out of the country as an adult. I'm out of North America. Out of North America. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so. ex experience that I'd ever had. And I took French in middle school and high school and a semester in college. So I spoke it well enough to admit that I don't speak it well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is really all that matters as long as you make enough. And, you know, people had told me for years about how France and the French are just rude, stuck-up people, and, you know... It's... Yeah, there's definitely a trope, a stereotype. There, there's a trope, and of, oh, of all the places in Europe, why would you want to go there? Um, but I think really? partially because... Yeah, no, I'd, I'd heard that. I mean, I, I've, I've been told by people, they're like, I would never go to France, they're assholes. But that, that wasn't hmm. my experience. You know, I went over there. Um, obviously, things were very different, different on a political level um in 2018 yes. um, both here and over there the yellow vest riots were not really as um uh, mainstream as they are now and with covid i don't know what's happened with that likewise over here we were only two years into the current administration and so there was things weren't quite as desolate and bleak yeah, well, so, it wasn't 2020. Exactly. Um, actually, when I was over there, John McCain died, so that was interesting. Um, oh. Yeah, well, I, I happened to be taking a tour. It was the only touristy thing I did. I, I took a tour of uh, the Normandy beaches because I probably nice. haven't, I haven't mentioned it on the show before, but my grandfather is a World War II veteran, and I say is because he is still alive. He's going to be 101 years old on November 7th, I think. That is so Which wild. Is, I I still don't really understand. <laughs> That's... Um, and from what you've told me, he's like... Oh, he's, he's with it. very I mean, mentally with it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he's not what he used to be, He's got memory loss, but it's not like Alzheimer's or dementia. It's just aging. I mean, he's a hundred fucking years old. You know? Yeah, that is so wild. Um, yeah, I mean, we do Zoom calls with him, and he he gets it. I just, it's it's really incredible. So, he was a he was a pilot in World War II, and he fought in France and um, Germany and Austria and just that kind of theater there. So I'd want to go over and just see kind of some of the history of it um, because I just. Obviously, he wasn't involved in Normandy, but I just felt like I owed it to knowing so much about his his um, time in the war to, to mm -hmm. see some of that stuff since I was over there. But yeah, you know, I was on this tour and 
We would stop in villages and everything. We could go to farmers markets. That's cute. And yeah, it wasn't quite it was as like, handholdy. It was in August or September. Late August. Late August. Yeah, like so right was... around the turn of the month. But the weather nice. was gorgeous over there. Yeah, I, mean, it's I bet. Like I bet. Low seventies every single day. No humidity. Yeah. They don't have yeah. the bugs we do over there. I was at the um, cemetery there for the American soldiers. Mm-hmm which is made to replicate Arlington Cemetery, you know, right. here in America. Yeah. Do they have, like, a grave of the lo- lo- lost soldier? Oh, of the forgotten. Um, yeah. I'm not sure, but they okay. probably, I mean, there was a lot to take in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was there, I think, the day after John McCain died. So then yeah. I got to see the whole flag-lowering ceremony with the half- staff and all of that which was really unique yeah that's kind of cool it was i mean you know it's it's something different that's for sure but i just remember um not just in normandy but especially i think because when i'd be talking to some of the locals um and you know just general everyone was very nice and very accommodating obviously because they're used to tours like that i'm sure um but the the reverence that some of them had for people like my grandfather and then how that would extend to me, which I just thought was the most amazing thing because no one in my family has served in actual combat since Mm. him and his brother. Um, My uncle was in, he joined the Air Force in Vietnam, but he never served. Um, So it's not like I come from a real, like, gung-ho military family Mm -hmm. um but you know the sense of history that they have over there yeah um i think because they were taken over by nazi occupation Uh they they have i mean it's real and you know what it's not that long ago there are still people alive that remember it there's bullet holes in fences and houses that they just haven't gotten rid of from battles there um and it you know for me when i was going through college i don't know about as far as your college experience but like at a state school there's this big push to do study abroads and that's a conversation for another time Um, there was for me too and i didn't do it and i regret it but we can't talk about that another time yeah i likewise did not do it and i regret it but i've gotten mixed feelings on the whole study abroad thing Mm -hmm. Um, because I think some people don't, I think people take that for granted. And I think some people, um, travel and I mean, they're effectively living in another country for a whole school semester and they come back and they haven't really learned anything from that. Um, right. And you know, there's the, everyone's like, Oh, travel, it's going to change your mind. And it, it does, but you have to be open to that, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was just amazing to me. And I also, you're from Long Island, but I'm from the greater Boston area. And so when you grew up around here and you take class field trips to see the old North Bridge and Revere's Ride, and you have all this stuff from the Revolutionary War so close, yeah. um, you either take that for granted or you've got a really good sense of your history and mm-hmm. like not much in between. Yeah. Um, 
So, and that's the closest thing America has to anything like that. But that's I think only... that's a really good analogy, though, because I think like I think there is at least when I moved here and I started to, and this is also because I was an adult and I love history, but like getting to go to all these places where like the Revolutionary War like actually happened was really cool, and I did get a greater sense of like how especially like this city was a part of it and like is still a part of like the sort of like what has happened since then there's a lot of pride here just going back to what you were saying about france it's like this like these battles really did happen in their backyard and also like from what i understand they have a more in-depth understanding of that history in school than what we get Right, and which was like what a couple months, <laughs> if yeah, if that you know, and so I think as a result, um, just the people I met were were more mindful of stuff. They didn't really see me. I mean, some did, but the ones that I really connected with did not see me as just an American. They just saw me as, you know, a person in the world, which obviously is a privilege to be considered that way, but. Um, we don't really do the same for people that come and visit America and speak a different language, regardless yeah. of, regardless of that person's skin color, people certainly yeah. get weird if they hear like anyone speaking whatever. Or but... they just like are curious where they're from. I have a right. friend who like, no matter what, if we're out to eat or like we're interacting with someone who is, uh, not white or like doesn't speak english or has an accent or whatever or like doesn't speak english well or has an accent she's always like where are you from what's your ethnicity and this is a friend who is a person of color so i think it's different but it's still like sure. every every single time i'm like like i would personally never ask that question unless like it was we were already like talking about it because i'm just like i don't want like it to be misconstrued as like rude or whatever and i honestly we live in boston like we meet people who right. are not from the u.s all the time so it's interesting taking that knowledge and that mindfulness as an american yeah. and, then, and then seeing how people at least in my experience overseas were and again obviously travel does you know the mind a lot of good um but especially with what's been going on now um, yeah. Between, you know, protests about racial inequality and even financial economic in inequality. And I mean, there, so many things happen every single day at this point. So I'm not even going to bother doing a list. But there's just, I think there are a lot of people that are, are very, very insular in this country, partially because it is that kind of like exception, exceptionalism. And, um, you know, we live in a country that celebrates the individual and not the group, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. it's stuff I've been thinking about a lot because obviously things are really stressed right now. Um, yeah. But two years later, and I still think about the experiences I had over there and the kindness that was displayed to me. And, you know... I'm not saying I felt more at home over there, but at the same time, and granted, Boston is infamous for being not 
polite. So (laughs) that's a big, big asterisk on this. But at the same time, I've been to a decent amount of places in the U.S. And Mm -hmm. people are jerks kind of all over. And um, yeah, just that kind of kindness uh, that we're we're missing in in day-to-day life. And I don't know. Hey, you know what? Maybe I lucked out and I talked to people and I just presented myself in the right way. I don't know. Um, But... I think it really depends. Like... The times that I've been out of the country, like even in Canada and, but also in Europe and South America, like some people are nice and some people are not. Some people don't like, it depends where you are too, but like, especially when you're outside of bigger cities, people don't speak English and like, they're not trying to be not nice, but they're, they don't know what you're saying. And like, you don't know what they're saying. And right. So, so that's, um, that's a really good point and that reminded me of something that i think is like a good cap to all this because this is just kind of random ideas and things i've been thinking about but i remember when i wasn't in paris i was in um i think it was the city of vernon so i remember being there and you know it's the normandy region technically although it is closer to paris and i was waiting for the bus to get somewhere i'd gone to this farmer's market and i was well first what happened was i sat down in this park on a pedestal like the very bottom pedestal of a statue not on a statue but like on a block of cement that the statue was on and uh-huh. a policeman came over and told me not to sit there because it was a statue and you shouldn't do that which i thought was amazing considering how we treat that type of stuff in america which is you know there isn't anything about that wow um i mean i wasn't i was just sitting there like checking the bus schedule you know not being disrespectful um but it was that seat level it's not like you climbed it right no 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 i mean it was and it was out it was just in the open but i you know i certainly respect that i have a lot of respect for that so that was kind of like a wow yeah that is that's different and he was the police officer was very nice about it too i was like oh i'm not from here so after that then then i found a place to sit on some benches and so then i sat there and there were these two people on a bench nearby and they were talking and there's this older guy and a younger woman and so the older man must have been about 70 or so and the woman maybe was in her mid late 30s and they're having a conversation, but it was clear they didn't really have a common language between them. Mm-hmm. Um, he was French. She wasn't. And uh-huh. I, think, I think she was maybe from like Belgium or something where there is some familiarity with that language, but, yeah. you know, not quite. And so she had been asking him directions somewhere and not really understanding. And so then he asked me if i could help translate and then we all realized he didn't speak like any english and her english was pretty broken my french isn't the best (laughs) so it was we ended up not even talking about what they were talking about i think we were just talking about the experience of three people talking where you don't have a common language you know yeah yeah but it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life because it really challenged me to really listen really pay attention 
really work on how I phrase what I say um, and any intent that goes along with that. Yeah. And also just being open to the fact that even if I do my best and try to communicate in the best yeah. possible way, that yeah. that could be just, you know, it's like a game of telephone. Basically. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like the times where like I find myself in a conversation with someone who doesn't speak English very well, if at all, it's like, which is usually with Spanish speakers because I speak a little bit of Spanish. It's like, I try to focus on their body language and what they're trying to like say with their hands and everything too. And it, yeah, it can be really frustrating and it requires a lot of patience on both from both parties. And then, yeah. And then there just might be a point where you're like, we don't know what we're trying to say and we have to <laughs> give up there. I took, um, when I took my driving driver's test, one of the women with me the first time I went, because this is a story for another time, but I went twice. But um, the woman with me, uh, who was also taking the test, she failed. And when she got back in the car, she was trying to tell me that she wanted, she needed to have her hands on like 10 and 2 or whatever. Uh, and she was saying 10 and 2 or like was saying that they were on the wheel but she couldn't convey the word she didn't know the word hand in english mm. she's a native spanish speaker and um i didn't know the word for hands in spanish which i know now is manos but she kept pointing at her hand and saying manos and i was like 17 and not and being an idiot and like not getting that she was pointing at her hand and then finally Someone else got in the car who spoke both English and Spanish and was just like, she's saying her hands. And I was like, oh. Anyway. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, stuff like that, it, it's so so good to have those experiences. And It is, yeah. You know, I, it, me, me bringing the whole conversation up is not to wax on about, oh, I had the most amazing baguette. Oh, no, and I don't, but it, those change, like... I, you said before, like, you'll remember that, that time forever. Like, when I went to Guatemala when I was 14, and I still think about that trip constantly. And it was literally 14 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, people are social creatures. And yeah. so, for me, the whole idea of travel or any experience that takes you out of your comfort zone... Yeah. Um, it kind of should be. I mean, experience is part of it, but it should also be how are you approaching this? How like how do you really feel about this? Because I don't know. I mean, everyone's different, but I feel like the people that <laughs> go to some, you know, they go to Barcelona and then they end up eating Chipotle and yeah, doing the usual stuff. It's it's not the same. Yeah, and, but you um, want to go. You want to go, and you going back to what you're saying about being social creatures. It's like you want to go have an experience like that helps you. Uh, like I don't or, not, or maybe that's not the right way to say it. You want to well, go have an experience where you are immersed in the culture of other people. Yeah, and I and want the to only go... way you can do that is by talking to the people that live there. Right, and I want to be educated, whether it's literally or just through conversation and just through through doing, you know, just on other perspectives. And, you know, the world is a big place. 
Yeah. Um, and I just, again, I, I feel like with everyone being kind of trapped in America yeah. right now and trapped in their yeah. houses and with all this unrest, um, I think there are a lot of people, um, you know, regardless of their standing on any issue that I, I think it would just be a good, healthy thing for people to engage in more dialogue, even with their neighbors and stuff. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how some of this lockdown, you know, and I talked to some of the people that live near me and I'm like, I had no idea you felt that way about certain things. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, you don't, you don't know until you talk and you actually have. Well, there's also the fear. I mean, like people's fear is, is bringing out parts of them that they maybe wouldn't normally have exposed. Right. So, uh, so our suggestion for this week, uh, is actually a book that we both have read. We both read this summer, Justin more quickly than I did, um, called Norwegian Wood, which is by, um, I forget his first name. It's by Murakami. Haruki Murakami, I think. Haruki Murakami, yeah. Um, and it's a book that was actually given to me by my last partner um, before we, like, quote, unquote, broke up. Um, and I spent, like, a good part of the summer having it in my bag, taking it with me different places, like, reading it kind of in little spurts. Whereas Justin kind of ate it in like I, I three read days. It in three days, yeah. Yeah, and um, I will like think of this book as part of my like experience of this weird, weird COVID summer. Forever, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, so, so without without going into spoiling, without, yeah, without spoiling anything, it's it's a it's a love story kind of about this boy set, set in set in the late 60s set in 1960s I, it's Japan. not a huge it's not a huge part of it but it is important to mention that it is i i think like because specifically throughout the book uh well the the main character's name is uh toru, toru. um uh and he is yeah he's like coming of age and going to college in the 60s and he's like very into the music of the 60s like specifically the book is called Norwegian Wood because the Beatles come up often throughout the story uh whether it's playing on the radio or like a lot of people in the story play guitar and are playing songs by them um yeah uh and so Toru is in love with this girl named Naoko who is troubled let's say i mean i'm not totally yeah. sure they don't well, really they know never, they never explicitly say exactly there are some things in the mutual past of toru and naoko that kind of explain why she is the way she is but also not really um i don't think they ever really specify it's just kind of mental you know whatever and part of it too is also perhaps the time where they just couldn't diagnose um so it's about kind of her and her well-being 
well taru was kind of taking a different life track and i uh, becoming a man i guess not to be cliche but no yeah i think i think that's exactly what's happening like he is becoming a man and trying to figure out and this is of course like the 60s relates to this too in the, in the fact that like he's kind of looking for a life partner at a very young age for for us but like at the time that's pretty normal i guess yeah Um, because he's only 20 or he's 19 when the book starts or even 18 um uh but he is like looking for like his love of his life um and yeah naoko is mentally ill and she uh they both have been through this great loss together that is the thing that binds them um and he is in the process of healing from it which i think like as we both know grief takes a while and it's only like i think that's the book only ends like within two years after the loss um yeah he he is still processing yeah um the thing that happened to both of them by the end it's not the ending is not some happy you know yeah no it's it's a very complicated story and and toru is a a a, really a person and i think murakami has a great way of like describing him as a person with layers and depth um beyond just like i mean really to describes him in these like mundane but yet like profound ways of like getting to the deeper roots of someone's like psychology that like everyone can relate to yeah i mean murakami is not hesitant to write entire chapters where really nothing happens nothing happens um i mean that's a that's kind of like the whole book in some ways nothing yeah. really major ha- there some some type of crazy scene where you know th- there's like this really um really memorable conversation you, you could like adapt into a great movie scene or something it's yeah. people talk people talk realistically they monologue they interrupt each other yeah um, i mean he'll we should say also he goes by watana watanabe throughout the book toru does they they all call him by his last name um and like you know watanabe will like wake up and he'll just be like well i masturbated thinking about noko and then i got some eggs and i had a beer and then and i, I, thought, I thought about my annoying roommate and... i thought about my annoying roommate and this other girl who like has a boyfriend um and then I and then I got really drunk and slept with someone who was neither of those women. It's pretty true to how people are, though. Yeah, I, he's he's just he says it throughout the book. He's a very ordinary, typical guy. Like there isn't really anything special about him, other than the fact that I think, at least compared to like my experience of men, for the most part in America, like he has like emotional intelligence that's like kind of beyond his years as like a 20 year old person man right um i think he doesn't fully understand 
why he feels certain ways, but he's definitely thinking about it. Um, and yeah, he's a very sensitive person. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, one of one of the things I like about the book is that one of the characters that you mentioned um, is very similar to you, and it's funny. Yeah. Because I, I was Midori. thinking about it the whole time I was reading. Yeah, so her name is Midori, and I like as I was first reading this book because my my partner had given it to me. I was like, of course, like comparing the relationship between the main character and Naoko to like my relationship with this guy. And of course, but then like, because Murakami is, is such a great writer, like you, even as a woman, like I ended up feeling like I related more to Toru than I did to most of the characters until we meet Midori. And I was like, God damn it. This woman loves to talk is mm -hmm. extremely, uh, egotistical and like <laughs> wants to be given compliments about how beautiful she is all the time mm -hmm. um but is also i will say very smart and has been through things um and is also thoughtful but speaks before she thinks of it speaks before she thinks of what she's saying and is really young and reminds me of myself also when i was a little younger um yeah she's not a just like Taru, she's not one note comic relief or like, oh, here's the um, character that talks a lot and like isn't afraid of saying, you know, yeah, she's adult, a adult stuff that Taru yes. won't vocalize. She's yeah, she's not and there to be just, a foil to him, and he just takes it. I mean, he's like kind of exasperated by her, but he doesn't ever stop hanging out with her because clearly, like, he welcomes I, it. He welcomes he, the because he's not that that open and he i think like he admires that in her that she just kind of will say whatever she wants and wear whatever she wants right um so she's a good character i big relate mm -hmm. <laughs> um and with that we should probably say our goodbyes okay well that just about uh, does yeah thanks for listening uh we still do not have any episodes online so no one has listened to any of these episodes yet but we found somewhere that's cheap to host uh our episodes and i am going to make an account this week and get them online uh yeah 